0: May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight to the Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. To the gentlemen in the congregation this morning, I hate to bring you bad news, but back when you were in high school or college and you invited that young lady to go to the movies with you on Friday, and she said, I'm sorry, but I have to stay home and wash my hair, she wasn't telling you the truth. It was an excuse. She, it was you she didn't want to go to the movie. I know I hate to bring bad news to good people, but, you know, there it is. And to the school teachers and assistants in school and parents, when that child said, the dog ate my homework... The dog never ate the homework. I I know, it's hard for you to believe, but it's true. Dogs don't eat homework. Um, The kid just didn't do the assignment. They were making an excuse. It just didn't get done. We've all given lame excuses, right? Everybody here is guilty of giving a lame excuse at one point or another. Um, Maybe it wasn't really even an excuse. It was somewhat of a lie. It was intended simply to, you know, maybe... Uh, ease the pain of, of letting someone down, of, of giving somebody an uncomfortable truth you didn't want to give them. Um, to, to, uh, to let yourself off the hook for failing to complete an obligation that you should have done. We all have given really poor excuses. I, I, I looked up some list of really bad excuses. I thought these were great. These were from um, police officers who had pulled people over for speeding. Um, This one woman said, I have a cold and when I cough, my foot matches the pedal. It's not my fault. Um, A man said he put too much oil in his car and needed to drive really fast to burn the excess off. I like this one. A guy got pulled over going 54 in a 45 and claimed he was dyslexic. Um, I'm going to try to remember that one. Um, then some other really good ones for missing work. Um, an employee called in and said he was too fat to fit in his uniform and therefore wouldn't be able to wake him to work that day. Another one said that he um, he left his clothes at the laundromat and had nothing to wear. But the best one is that a woman called into work and said she saw a bear in her backyard and was afraid to leave the house. Um, you know, my mother used to famously say, a poor excuse is better than none, which I think was a turn on George Washington's phrase, which was, um, better no excuse than a poor one. Um, I, and I think my mom was maybe being ironic. Um, a poor excuse is better than none. But for every 100 or so bad excuses, lame, poor, Excuses. There are some that are legitimate, right? I mean, sometimes the person really is too sick to go to work. It's legitimately reasonable to expect that a toilet could be backed up and overflowing, and you have to wait on a plumber to let him in. Um, the car really won't start, or the bus really was late, or whatever happened. Really, the alarm really didn't go off. I mean, sometimes there are legitimate excuses. And there's the rub, isn't it? it it's the, it's the, the, the distance between the, the, the lame ones and the real ones. You know, I mean, what would happen if a dog really did eat your homework? There's no way you could duplicate it in time to get to, work, to school. Or, or um, if there really was a bear sitting in your driveway. Um, yeah, you're not going out there. Perish the thought. Ladies, if you had a head full of lice, you really might have to stay home and wash your hair. Instead of going to the movies. There's always sometimes a reason, always sometimes a reason, there is oftentimes a reason why you might have to excuse yourself because you have competing priorities. Sometimes it's okay to have an excuse. The gospel lesson today is a major turning point in Luke's gospel. Luke 9.51, scholars have recognized this passage as being a, a, a significant literary turn, both for the writer and the story as a whole, and, and theologically for what Jesus is doing. It, it says in Luke 9.51, the beginning, the very first verse in the, in the gospel lesson, when the days drew near uh, for Jesus to be taking up, taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is the way um, the bulletin has it, and also uh, another translation, the ESV, also, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I think the translation lacks sort of the, the emphasis. I think it calls for an English modifier here. We need, we, we need, a, we need an adjective to help us out or an adverb. Um, that, that Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem uh, is the way the uh, NAS has it. And I think even a little better, the NIV, Jesus resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. He has made this destination Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Fixed in his mind and in his intention. And this this Semitic uh, expression, this Semitic idiom, he set his face. He he looked toward that direction and he's going there. Um, This is a a determination to go to Jerusalem and to face what he knows he will face when he gets to Jerusalem, which is suffering and death. Luke shows us then, I think, while he makes that turn, the turn that Jesus takes to go to Jerusalem, He also sort of ratchets up the idea of what it costs to be a disciple. This is where Jesus is going. And if you're going to follow, if I'm going to follow, this is where we're going to go. Not only this is where we're going, but this is how we will go. Immediately somebody volunteers. Jesus, I will go with you wherever you go. Don't you like that? And they volunteer. There's not even a a question. Who wants to come? (laughs) Not that. They volunteer. I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, there's no no contingency so long as it's warm, so long as it's safe, so long as there are any poisonous snakes or rats or vicious squirrels. I'm going to go with you wherever you go. But Jesus sort of sees through this charade, doesn't he? He sees right through it. Because his answer tells them and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lie his head. To lay his head, excuse me. I'll go wherever you go, provided I have the right kind of accommodations, right? I'll go wherever you go, provided the salary is reasonable. I'll go wherever you go. Provided you meet my minimum expectations, you know, I have some things that I'll need. I always love it when I hear about celebrities in the green room, all the things that they they require, you know, like only green M&Ms or something like that, you know, ridiculous things like that. These are the uh, – Jesus says, uh, you will go wherever I go. You know I have no place to call home. You sure you want to go where I'm going? A, a second person jumps in. Jesus actually invites this person, verse 59. To another he said, look at this with me, We you take your bulletin and look at it? verse 59, it's just a, a, a halfway down through there. To another he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems like a legitimate excuse, doesn't it? Let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I know something about excuses. You know, I've given a couple of them on a the time or two. But the death of a parent has to be like way up there at the top of the list. This is about as legitimate an excuse as you can have for anything. Um, you know, I heard about the kid who called in um, to his part-time job and said, "I can't come because it's the death of my grandparent." And the boss said, "But it's your third grandparent to die." You know, there's there's a le- this is the death of a parent. My father, let me go bury my father. The paterfamilis, the most important relationship in the ancient Near Eastern world that any person had in their sphere of influence. Is Jesus really so uncaring? So cruel? Two things going on here. On well, the first, I think you have to understand ancient Near Eastern hyperbole. Um, there's a, 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 a tendency to exaggerate exactly for the point of emphasis. Jesus does this all the time. Uh, remember, he says, you know, if your eye offends, you cut it out. Better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than with two eyes to be cast into the, to the pit of hell. And so on. Uh, we do it, too. We say, I'm starving to death. And you look at me like, Joe, you're nowhere near starving to death. Uh, you know, you got a long way to go before you get there. Stop laughing. Uh, or we say, you know, um, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Or she's been gone for an eternity. And. We do this all the time. They did it in the ancient or eastern world as well. But I think the other part is true also. That Jesus intentionally wants to offend our sensibilities. No other priority above me. I am number one. Not even the death of your father is more important than following me. And this would shock his listeners. It's socially unacceptable for him to say this. First, Protoss, let me go do this. No! Let the dead bury their own dead. You, come follow me. The third one, verse 61. To another he said, I will follow you, Lord. Another volunteer. But first, here it is again. First, let me say farewell to my those at home. Jesus said to him, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Is fit for the kingdom. Can I at least go and say goodbye first? <laughs> I mean... You heard the Old Testament lesson. Elijah, let Elisha go home, kiss his mom and dad, and then head off. Can Jesus not be as accommodating as Elijah? Again, the hyperbole mixed with the seriousness. The intentional uh, uh, offending of our sensibilities. No. No other first. No other excuses. I am to be number one. I think we can easily lose some of the force of this um, of this text when we apply it to ordained ministry. I've heard it a lot in that way, you know that that when you know you're called into ministry, uh, you're called to, um, to all these things, you know, to give up familial relationships, uh, to go into the ambiguity of uncertainty, not, the ambiguity of uh, of your your future homes, not knowing where you're going to live. Um, The the difficulty with um, resources, you never know what you're going to make, all this sort of stuff. It's not about ordained ministry. This passage has nothing to do with ordained ministry, it has to do with discipleship. It has to do with ordinary men and women, boys and girls who will follow Jesus. It applies to us all equally. You want to follow me? No excuses. No excuses about your own comfort. No excuses about the importance of other relationships. No concern about your own reputation. I'm to be number one, Jesus says. It's about being a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. What does it take to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? You know, we can be religious. I mean, we can do that, right? It's it's not too hard to play the part or to fake the part. You can be in church... You can give money. You can do all the things that make it seem like we're disciples. But we know inwardly whether or not Jesus is first priority or not. Is he number one? Discipleship is about following Jesus without excuses. And so just a few little, you know, rubber meets the road sort of things. So the when we respond angrily and aggressively and hostile in a hostile way towards people who upset us or disappoint us, hurt our feelings, and then excuse ourselves by saying, well, if she hadn't said that or done that, then I wouldn't have. That's not true discipleship. True discipleship is when we've done that, when we've spoken in a way that's harmful and angry and hostile to somebody, that we own up to it. We say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Or better yet, we keep our mouths shut. And we don't say the mean, cruel, hostile thing. Discipleship is about following Jesus. No excuses. When we're faced with an uncomfortable choice between telling the truth or lie, we tell the truth because following Jesus is about being a fully committed follower. No excuses. When we have an opportunity to make more than we should by exploiting somebody. Or keeping more than we should by failing to be generous. Or wanting more than we have. We have an opportunity to be a fully committed follower of Jesus. Not to make excuses. See, I think at this turning point, Luke wants you to see that Jesus knows where he's going. And his invitation to follow becomes ever more important are you really ready to go all the way with me there's a, a story about alexander the great that um that he had laid siege to this walled city um and the city sat on the edge of a uh, of a ma- massive cliff and and so there the the, the um the, the army has surrounded the city and they're 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 ready to wait it out because there are these massive walls. And, and the king comes out to meet the general and he says to Alexander, he says, um, listen, we have impenetrable walls and we have supplies that will outlast any supplies that you have. We can we can wait out this siege. And Alexander turns and he looks at a soldier and he says to him, march off of that cliff. And the soldier marches off the cliff to his death. And the story goes that he turned to another soldier and said, you do the same. And the next soldier marches off the cliff to his death. He does it a third time and he turns to the king and he says, do you need to see more? And without a fight, they surrender. We are no match for an army of such committed soldiers. Jesus says... Come. Follow me. Are we ready to make that decision? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.